Lord, we're so grateful for your word, Lord, the insight, the instruction, the truth, the life there, Lord. And I pray today uh, that as we just just look into it, Lord, we read it, God, it, read us, that it would look into us, that it would examine us, Lord, it would, it would speak to us, Lord, and, and we'd be different. We'd be changed by it, by that and the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we just give you this morning, Jesus, and we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. The salvation, Calvary, uh, your blood that cleanses us. Uh, we just give you this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, we're going to be in verse 43. Last week, uh, we closed out with the, the guys coming from the mountain. Uh, they came down from the Mount of, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. That's where they see Jesus change. They see his glory. They see Moses and Elijah there. Uh, and, and, you know, Peter speaks up and says, man, Lord, this is great. Let's make three tents and we'll stay right here. And, and uh, they, they move from there, this mountaintop experience, and they go down to the valley. That's where we live in the valley. Right? That's where we need those mountaintop experiences. We need to spend time with the Lord at the mountaintop where we're hearing Moses and Elijah, the prophets, where we're hearing the word of God. And it's preparing us as we descend from that mountain, that time with the Lord. We descend into a place of ministry, of life, where we're living every single day. We need to take that time. So we, we, he, we move from there. Uh, and, and they come down and they experience a young man who's demon-possessed. And his father is, it's my only son. And this demon takes him and throws him, throws him into the water, into the fire. It tries to harm him. And Jesus casts out the demon. And then verse 43, it says this, They were all amazed at the majesty of God. And while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they didn't understand the saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. As, as Jesus is, is, everyone's there, they're, they're amazed. Look at what this guy just did. The, the demons, he controls the demons, you know, and it's been that way as people watch uh, the miracles Jesus performs. They're watching him and, and marveling at everything he's done. And Jesus says something very sobering to the disciples. He says, listen, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful man. He's going to die. I'm going to die, guys. It's very sobering. Some, and, and they didn't understand it. I remember when I first... Uh, I got a hand-me-down car when I was 16. My grandfather was a rural mail carrier, and uh, he delivered the mail, and I ended up with that car. It was a Chevy Malibu. I liked it. It was olive green. It wasn't the coolest car at the school parking lot, uh, but it was fun to drive. I had a car. When I graduated, uh, for my graduation, I got some money for graduation, and I bought a car that... Um, what Rochester Davis Fetch, a carpenter, uh, uh, an outfit in the Carpenters Union. I bought a car that they were auctioning off, and I told uh, my mom and, and Bob, yes, I want it. You know, whatever it costs, I want that car. I really didn't care. And, and it had a lot of miles. I remember Bob telling me, uh, my mom's husband, Bob, Bob would say, listen, you've got to check the oil. 
And I was like intimidated by that. I'm like, check the oil. Where do that, where do you do that? All right, show me where, show me how. You know, I didn't know anything. Um, so, you know, my grandfather was older. I lived with my grandfather. He didn't really show me that stuff. So I was like, all right, show me where to check the oil. So he showed me, I'm like, how it takes five quarts? How am I gonna lose five quarts of oil? Right. So I you know, failed to check it after a while. And I remember one day, you know, by Star Park in Leicester, driving down the hill, almost coming to Star Park, and my car makes a loud noise and dies. I'm like, what just happened? Well, you know, I get it home. I don't know how I got it home, if it was towed or if I was able to get it going enough. And I checked the dipstick and there's no oil in the thing, right? And but he warned me over and over and over again. And doesn't that's what Jesus does. He warns the disciples. He said so many times, I've told you things, these things before they come to pass. So when they do, when this happens, you might believe. I've told you this over and over, right? And, and Jesus is telling the disciples, listen, I'm going to die. It's, and they didn't understand it. They didn't know. It couldn't compute. They didn't see why that was possible or why that was practical. But Jesus was dying for humanity. He came on a mission. And he reminded them, listen, I'm going to be betrayed. And the ministry, the baton of this ministry is going to be passed to you. You guys are going to do what I'm doing. And they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. It, it didn't make sense to these guys because they wanted to be to do what they were doing right through eternity, right? All right, Lord, you know, stick with us. But he's preparing them, and it's very sobering. As we go through this whole chapter, Jesus is going to say some very sobering things, some corrective things. Immediately, as soon as that happens, Jesus is telling them that he's going to die. It says in verse 46, this is mind-blowing, a little surprising, it says, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. Like, what? And Jesus, perceiving their thought, the thought of their heart, he took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Don't forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Right away, I think it's Mark's account, says that these guys, Jesus actually asked them. These guys were walking down the road, and Jesus hears them arguing. And when they, when they, when they get to where they're going, Jesus says, Hey, guys, what were you guys arguing? Like he doesn't know. What were you guys arguing about back there on the road? And it says that they were afraid to answer him. Like after he says that I'm going to die, these guys are like, you know what? Pretty sure I'm the greatest in the kingdom. Right? I mean, that's their argument. Who's the greatest uh, uh, among them? Who's, and, then, and this won't be their last argument. They'll want to sit on his right hand and his left hand in glory. They're going to argue this again. This isn't the last time. What, you know, and, and that's the, you know, greatest of all time. That There's so many debates on in basketball and, you know, football and baseball. Who's the greatest, right? The, the great debate in basketball right now. Who's the greatest? 
And the disciples are arguing that. What's it doing? It's dividing them. They're disputing. And what's the root of these arguments? Who's the greatest? What's the root of it? How do you, how do you get to that? That you're arguing who the greatest is. It's pride, isn't it? It's pride. Pride is making these guys say, you know what? I'm a little better than you. I'm a little better than you. Right? And that is the original sin. If you read uh, Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah, the prophet, speaks of Lucifer, the devil, how he fell from heaven, how he was created, and how he fell from heaven. Why? Because pride entered his heart. And he says, you know what? I'm a pretty attractive guy, angel, pretty talented. I'm going to actually, my throne, I'm going to ascend above God. I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be better than him. And there's five I wills in Isaiah 14 that the devil in his pride says, you know what, I'm going to elevate my throne above your throne. I'm that good, right? And then, and then God says, no, actually, you're not going to, right? We see in chapter 10, we'll see this probably next week. We'll, talk, we'll touch on it again. The disciples, 70 men are sent out to cast out demons, perform miracles, to preach the kingdom. And these guys go out and they come back and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Look at what we were able to do. This is amazing. And Jesus doesn't say, man, you guys are awesome. Chip off the old block. What, a, what great guys you are. He says, listen, watch out. I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He doesn't commend them for that. He says, heads up, watch out for pride. Because just like that, it entered into Satan's heart and he fell from heaven as lightning, right? You guys saw, have seen lightning, right? Cool pictures of it. It's like, wow, did you see that? And I'll tell my wife in a lightning storm, did you see that lightning? No. Did you see that one? No, I didn't see it. Well, you got to look this way, right? Because it just that fast. Just that fast. And that's how fast, how quick it was in, in the devil's heart. Pride took root and took over. And, and Jesus warned the 70, he says, watch out for pride. Be careful. Be careful. It's the, it's the sin the first sin. It was a sin in heaven. It entered into Peter's heart early on too. Jesus said, listen, guys, Matthew tells us, listen, guys, watch out. Everyone tonight is going to be offended because of me. People are going to, and, and you know, the scripture says, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Well, guess what? Tonight's the night and you guys I'm going to be arrested, and you guys are all going to flee. And Peter's like, Lord, you're right. Those guys are going to do that. Me? Not happening to me. You know, I'm ready to die for you. And that's when Jesus says, Peter, no, 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 no. You're going to deny me three times tonight, Peter. Peter didn't see it in himself, right? That's how, how tricky, how deceptive pride can be. Peter doesn't see it in himself, but thank God, God already saw it. Jesus already saw it, and he warned him. He says, listen, well, you know, you're going to be humbled through this process, Peter. 
And when you're converted, when you're changed, when you have a change of mind and heart, Peter, strengthen your brethren. I've got a mission for you, a commission for you. I've got a plan for your life. It hasn't changed, Peter, right? And that's God can see the pride in your heart, my heart, the sin in your life, my life, and he wants to correct it and correct us and still use our lives. That's what's amazing, right? Jesus, I don't know if this is the remedy for pride, but he definitely defines greatness for us in the kingdom because the guys were wondering who's the greatest and what how would you define that the greatest preacher the biggest church the guys who you know have you know have the biggest following on facebook or you know twitter or you know whatever it is how how, how are we going to define greatness how do you define it and and jesus does that for us it says this in in mark's account jesus says if any desires to be first He'll be last of all and servant of all. And then in this same dispute, later in chapter 10, he says, whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. Jesus puts an exclamation point on the fact of service. To being a servant, to being a slave, to serving other people, just being a servant. That's what makes greatness. If you remember, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 3. It's, it's a church that's carnal, fleshly. It's a church that walks in its natural te- tendencies and natures. It was a church that was prideful. It was doing all kinds of weird things. And, and at one point, and in, in Paul mentions it in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, you guys are so carnal. One person says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, you know, I'm, I'm of Peter. And then, you know, then somebody's like, no, well, I'm of Jesus, right? I'm, you know, those are just disciples, those are apostles, but I'm of Jesus, right? And, and he's, he's like, it's all pride, it's carnality. He says, I want to tell you what we are. He says, we're the ministers of Christ. We're the ministers He says, all those guys that you're talking about, Paul, Cephas, Apollos, Jesus, those are all servants. The people I'm traveling with, you can look at our lives, our our life, and what we're doing. We're servants. You can watch our life. And that word minister, I think it's only used one or two times in the New Testament. It literally means to be an under rower, right? If you guys saw the movie Ben-Hur and all the guys, like everyone's on, on the ship, and they're traveling across the sea. And then there's all these guys who are chained up with shackles underneath. And they've got these big oars that are sticking out of this wooden ship. And they're rowing underneath. And everyone on top, nobody knows that these guys are down there. They might see the oars sticking out, but they don't know what they look like. They don't see anything going on underneath the ship. And that's what, that's what Paul said we are. He says, we're just ministers. We're under rowers. We might not even be seen. We're servants. We're ministers. And we're just rowing and rowing. And our purpose is to get you to your destination at any cost. And that's what it means to serve. You're getting other people to their destination at whatever cost it is to you. That's how you serve people. That's how you love people. And Jesus said, that's what you need to do. 
Paul in Philippians chapter 2, if you guys want to, I'm going to make two references here. Turn to Philippians with me. Chapter 2, great church, church in Philippi. Paul is writing them. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, if there's any consolation, that word is encouragement. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife, through selfish ambition. Your Bible might say strife, but it's selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, that's, that's so common for us, like what do I need? You, you go to the store, right? Go to the mall, and what are you doing? You're looking at, what can, do I need sneakers? I like those shirts, right? He says, don't only look for your own interests, but for the interest of others, right? If you're married, men, when you go to the mall, you're stuck going to the mall, you should look for your wife, right? You should look for your kids. Look, what are, what, are, what are they interested in, right? We don't have to just go to Cabela's or Bass Pro. What? Maybe you end up at Bath and Body Works. I don't know. Like, what are your interests? What do you care about? I'm interested in you. I want to put you above my own needs. And then he says this. Here's the mindset to have. <clears throat> he says, let this mind be in you, which, which, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, that Jesus is God. But this is what he did, verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation. He didn't care about a reputation. He made of himself of no reputation, and he took on the form of a bondservant. That word is doulos in the Greek, and it's a slave. We looked at it last week. It's somebody who willingly says, you know what? I want to serve you. I don't care if you pay me. My debt to you is, is over. I just, I like it here better than anywhere else, and I'm going to serve you. <clears throat> He took on the form of a bondservant. That was a, a slave. And there was tons in those days. Very common. If you owed a debt, you might become a, a, a slave of someone until that debt is paid off. And he says, and, and coming in the likeness of man, he was found in, the, found in appearance as a man, but he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Amazing. Amazing what Jesus did. He said, let that mind be in you. Think that way. Think that way. It can be hard for us, isn't it? Because we so often expect others to sacrifice for us, if we're honest. We want other people to think about us too, right? Very common. Like, you didn't make the coffee? You didn't buy my creamer? You didn't? Who are you thinking of, right? It's... Aren't you thinking of me every second? We expect people to do that, to think about me. Huh? Did, did you start the car? Well, you were right out there. Why didn't you start the car? 
Why didn't you warm it up? Why didn't you know we, we have all these thoughts like you should be thinking of me all the time? Well, Paul says, have this mind in you. Think of others all the time. How you might bless other people, what their needs are, what they like. How can I serve you? Jesus left an example. One more, uh, John chapter 13, if you turn there with me. <clears throat> he left this example for the disciples. All that they saw Jesus do, and they watched, and they watched. This is right at the end of Jesus' life. We can't control the heat in here, guys. We turn it up the day before, and then it gets warm. If anyone's warm in here, can turn the air on if anyone's hot, like me. Um, it's, our weather's a little bipolar in New York. Chapter 13 of John says this. Before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, that he should depart out of the world to the Father, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And then supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, but he's there. Look it. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and they had come from God, and he was going to God. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, <clears throat> and he took a towel, and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that he girded himself with. Is that pretty amazing? The God of heaven, the creator of the universe, takes literally, that's the lowest uh place of a servant in a home it was the one who would wash someone's feet like it would be if you had a family of i don't know say nine kids i have nine uh it would be the one kid that's the low man on the totem pole it's like all right you got to do the duty that nobody wants to do why because you're the low man you're the one that's gotta like oh do i have to do it well you're the low man on the totem pole right well, that was what the duty was that would wash people's feet. They would walk through uh, with open-toe shoes in Israel and Jerusalem, and they would come in the house, and before you trampled through the house, they would say, all right, hold on, let me wash your feet. Someone would do it. If you didn't have a servant or a slave, you would wash their feet. And Jesus, that's what he does. He, he gets this towel on, pours water into a basin, and says, all right, boys, I'm going to wash your feet. All right? That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? My grandmother had that done one time at a church, and she painted her toenails, and she pre-washed her foot, but she washed her left foot. And when she went there, they wanted to wash both feet. So she's got one foot that's perfect, got all the toenails done, probably, you know, pedicure, man, whatever it is. But the other foot, she never cared about it. She's like, oh, my goodness, no, you're not going to wash that foot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your feet get dirty, and that's what Jesus is doing. Man, he's getting in between the toes, doing all that. I'm washing your feet. It's not a good job. I don't know if anybody does that for their spouse. Might be nice, humbling. But that's what he, do, he did. He washed their feet. And then he came to Simon Peter and said, and Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Like, you've performed miracles. You've walked on water. 
You've done, I've seen, you're not washing my feet. There's no way you're doing that. And Jesus said, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. So then Peter's like, all right, don't wash my feet, but my hands, my head, give me a bath. Lord, I, if, if, it, if it matters, if I'm going to be part with you, I don't want to depart from you. Do, give me the full thing. And Jesus, Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. But he's completely clean, and you're clean, but not all of you. So he's talking about what we need to do in this life. That's a different Bible study, but right? You get dirty in this life. You walk through this life, and you pick stuff up on your feet. That's your contact with this world, your feet, with people and things and TV and entertainment and all this stuff, and you pick it up, and Jesus said, you need to be washed. you got to clean that stuff up. At the end of the day, maybe in the morning and at night, because there's a lot of stuff you pick up. He says, you're already clean, but you're, you've, every day you pick stuff up, you need to wash. And then he, and he says, uh, verse 11, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. And when he had washed their feet, he took his garment, sat down again. Now, now class is still in session. He says, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your teacher, your Lord and teacher, right? A Lord, that's your master. And I'm teaching you. If I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant isn't greater than his master. Nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. For if you know these things, we know we should do it. You want to be blessed? He said, blessed are you if you do them. We know we should be a servant. We know we should look on the things of others. We should care about other people. But you'll only be blessed when you engage in that, when you do that. And he left them an example to teach them a lesson. That's the la- the, kind of the last lesson, if, unless you want to include the, when, when Peter cut off Malchus's ear in the, in the garden. Like, Peter, I mean, one last thing I got to fix that you mess up. Let me put his ear back on, right? I'll fix that too, Peter. Jesus teaches them this lesson. Very important. Service. It removes pride. It removes self. Self-thought. Self-thinking. Self-absorption. Right? Jesus said, that is the problem with humanity. It's self, it's me, it's sin. That we think we can, we're so consumed with ourselves. So Jesus is trying to cure the disciples of that. He knew their thoughts. And then he takes verse 47 of back in Luke 9. He took a little child and set him in their midst and said, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. And children were considered, you know, not worth the investment until they were a certain age. The scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, children were not worth the time. 
They're not worth investing in. They're not worth teaching until they were a certain age. And Jesus made a lot of uh, statements about children. How you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you become like little children, he said. Right? That's part of this teaching. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you become like, what's a little child? They're so believing. They're so trusting. You don't have to convince them of certain things. Like, hey, you're going to be fine if, if you go on, you know, jump in the car. Like if I tell my wife to jump in the car and I'm driving, she's like, oh, you're going to drive the speed limit. You're going to, right? I tell the kids to jump in. They're like, oh, where are we going? This is great, right? That's what Jesus said. You got to become like little children. That type of faith, that type of trust. That's why Jesus said, if you offend a little child, watch out. It's better if a millstone is hung about your neck because they will trust you. You're teaching them so much just by your life, your example. They believe you. Jesus said, watch out. So Jesus elevates children. That's a ministry that can be overlooked. Children. And John answered, and, and, and here we see, John jumps in here. He says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said, don't forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Imagine the scene. These guys are actually casting out demons. It's working. They're doing it in Jesus' name. And John sees them and says, stop. Stop that. what, What did he say? Like, he came up to these guys like, do you even know Jesus? Like, we live with them. This what are you doing? You can't do that. Imagine, I don't know what John said to him, but he, he, he forbids these guys and Jesus warns them, hey, listen, they're not against us. Don't forbid them. And he corrects his disciples. And it's kind of the Elijah mentality, right? Uh, Elijah is, is uh, going against all the prophets of Baal calls fire down from heaven and and judges these priests. And then all of a sudden, Jezebel's after him and he runs into the wilderness and hides and God meets him there like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Lord, I'm the only one. It's it's all these other prophets. There's there's nobody. And Jesus like, God's like, no, 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 no. I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee. Priests in my name that haven't bowed their knee. To Baal. It's not just you. And we get that mentality whether you go to Calvary Chapel, and, and I've been guilty as, as charged, whether you go to Calvary Chapel or a Baptist church or whatever church it is, and maybe your style's a little different. But the essentials are there. Like Jesus is God, his deity, his virgin birth, right? His resurrection. Those things are there. You're, we're not, I'm not talking about essentials. But maybe some people wear, girls wear dresses at your church. Or maybe your translation might be a little different. It's, it's, it, there's something different, right? You, how you dress or gifts of the Spirit. That's kind of a big one. That can divide churches and people. Some churches think all the gifts are for today. 
Some people think they're all for the today except for miracles, tongues, and healing, prophecy, right? And that can divide people. The rapture of the church, that, that divides churches. There's certain things that are maybe not as essential, right? You go to church, and if it's about what you're wearing, if you're dressed up or not dressed up, you know, that's what I appreciated about Calvary Chapel. You could go, and guys were wearing sweatshirts and just going to church. I'm like, I kind of fit in here. I feel like I fit in a sweatshirt church, right? And some people, and, and it's good. Diversity is good. God's got this, this, all these different flavors of healthy churches where the Bible's being taught, where you can, some churches, it feels there's more respect if people, the ladies are wearing dresses, the guys are wearing button-down shirts. That's amazing. The Bible's being taught. Some churches, the people feel more comfortable. They came out of the world, drug dealers, alcoholics, drug addicts, and they wear a sweatshirt, and they feel like, wow, I fit in here. I can come just as I am. And you're being taught the word of God. That's important. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. We divide and we split hairs. And Jesus is warning the disciples not to do that. Don't split hairs over things that aren't essential. And I'm guilty as charged, man. I, I've been guilty of that. Calvinism, Arminianism, d- different things. There's important topics to discuss, but we're still part of one body. We're the church. He's got one church, not three. It's one church. And we can have pride, and, and it divides and separates. And, and Jesus rebukes John for that, not these people. He says, John, don't do that. And then verse 51, it says this, It came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. If you've ever been on a trip last week, right after service, uh, uh, Aaron and I brought our boys to, I don't actually know what the whole purpose of our trip was. We went to uh, the NFL Hall of Fame, and we also played top golf. So I don't know, one of those two things was more important than the other. But if you've ever been on a trip, you might, here's why I went, like Myrtle Beach, warm weather, but we like the hotel, we like, you know, we like to go do this or do that, we like to eat at the buffet, whatever, you know, there's a lot of things we're doing, but here's the main reason why we go. Well, this is what Jesus is doing now. His main reason, there's a lot of things Jesus did in his ministry and his life, but here's what it says. It came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The main reason Jesus came is to die for sinful man, for humanity. So three and a half year of ministry, Jesus did a lot, taught a lot, but here's, here's the, the, the what he came to do. And he's about six months away from going to the cross. And his, his, he's, all right, now I'm going. This is why I came, right? Turn to John chapter 12 for a second. I know we were there a minute ago in 13. John chapter 12, verse 23 says this. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has, has come that the Son of Man should be glorified 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, that where I am, there my servant might be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And then he says this in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Don't, don't, I don't want this to happen. He says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. This is the reason I came. This is why Jesus is going to Jerusalem, because he's going to be betrayed and crucified. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. Right? Jesus said, this is why I came. For this very reason. So his, his, his mind, his heart, he's heading to Jerusalem. His fate, face is set as a flint to go there. And as he goes, he sends messengers before his face. Verse 52. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they didn't receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So the guys probably, maybe even that morning, you know, that happened. They, they, they were probably reading, I think it's 2 Kings chapter 1, where uh, King Ahaziah, he's the king of Samaria, and he falls through the lattice of his house down to the second floor. And he becomes paralyzed, who knows, compound fractures, paralyzed. He goes into a bed, a sick bed. And he sends guys out and says, says listen, you got to go to the God, to Ekron. To the, to the, to the God Beelzebub. And, and inquire and see if I'm going to come out of this bed or if I'm going to die here. So he goes to this foreign, he asks to go, these guys to go to a foreign God and ask if he's going to live or die. So God sends Elijah to stop these guys that are heading that way. And, 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 the, and he asks them a question. Listen, is there not a God in Israel? Listen, because you're doing this, because you're inquiring of this false God, you're going to die in that bed. And instead of repenting, instead of this guy repenting, like, oh my goodness, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. He sends 50 soldiers out after him. He's like, who gave you that message? And, and they give this description of this guy that looks like John the Baptist, like a leather belt and just this rough and tumble guy. He's like, oh, I know who that is. Sends 50 guys out after him. And they said, hey, are you the man of God? And he's like, if I'm a man of God, may 
uh, lightning and fire come out of heaven and consume you. And right away that happened, killed 50 guys. So he's like, all right, I'm going to send another 50. Hey, are you the, you, you're the man of God? Well, if I am, same, same story, 50 guys dead. So the next group, they send another 50. And the next group of guys come. They're like, listen, I know what happened. There's the, some you know, barbecue right there. Please don't do that to us. And God's like, all right, go with them. You can go with them. And so these guys, they, they, maybe they even read it that morning in their devotions. I got a scripture for that, Jesus, right? First King, Second Kings chapter 1, I read about this. It was actually Samaria too, Lord. This must be you. Let's smoke them the way Elijah did. And they said, Lord, you want us to, to, to um, command fire from heaven? to consume them for rejecting you, for rejecting God. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It's not what I'm doing here. I came to save men's lives. I came to save men's lives. So I had some scriptures too. I'm not going to, we don't have time. Um, the reality is, you know, Romans tells us it's God's goodness that leads to repentance, right? That while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, right? If you're already righteous, if you think you're good enough, what need do you have of a Savior? It's people who know and sense their need, that understand their depravity, like, oh, I'm a wretch. I need a Savior. And that's what Jesus, listen, I didn't come to destroy, I came to save. Their lives, John says that, man, they're, they're, they're already being destroyed. I came to save. And this is an important section. Don't, don't lose me here. The last few verses here, five or six verses. It says, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, no one having, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. We're talking about excuses and delays in following the Lord. Excuses and delays and sobering truth. Someone came to Jesus probably excited. We know from Matthew's account that this guy is a scribe. He's a religious leader. That meant to do what he's doing, to say what he's saying, he's counting the cost. It seems like he's counting the cost. Like, Lord, I'll follow you wherever. I'll go wherever. And Jesus is not this excited, oh, man, great job. Come on, put, put his arm around him. Jesus has to tell him something very sobering because I don't know if this guy knows what's coming down the road for his life. 
Like it's not, I'm just, I'm just following a new, a new uh, teacher, a new master, a new rabbi. Here's the rabbi I'm following now. This guy's amazing. He performs miracles, walks on water, feeds 5,000 with a couple loaves and fishes. This guy's great. Cannot believe what this guy can do. And he says, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you wherever, wherever you go. And Jesus says, listen, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the son of man, this rabbi, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. I don't have a permanent dwelling place. It might get harder for you. And that's what he was saying. Listen, life might get tougher. You got to be prepared for that. That's what Jesus said when, he, when we looked at it in chapter 8. The sower and, and, and the seed and the soil. The ground, the, the seed is the word of God. The soil is the ground of a heart. And he said, there's some of this seed, it will fall on stony, a stony heart, but there's not a lot of depth and it'll bounce in and it'll be received so readily, so quickly. But soon tribulation, trials, difficulties come and it's choked out. When it gets hard, you'll walk away. And that's what he's telling this scribe. He's like, listen, life might not get easier for you. I don't know. I don't want it. And Jesus knows this guy's heart. He knows what he needs to hear. And Jesus tells him this because this guy probably isn't expecting that. A harder life? I'm expecting an easier life. Like you just, I was there when you fed the 5,000. I saw what happened. I was like right there. And Jesus is like, I'm, I, and, and, and the Bible, Jesus is so honest with us. Because life, listen, it's, a, it's worth it. It's eternal life what Jesus offers. But it's not always the easy life. Things get hard. Things get difficult. But that's the foundation, right? When Jesus explained uh, uh, the two foundations, one's on sand, one's on rock, he says, and the storms came for both. The difficulties came for both. One stood, one didn't. That's life. You want to be on the rock. Difficulties are coming. So Jesus is warning him, preparing him. And then he said to another, follow me. Jesus said that all the time. So many accounts in the Bible where you see Jesus just look at someone, hey, follow me, follow me. But this guy is prepared with an answer right away. Jesus says, follow me. But he said right away with an answer, Lord, I recognize you as Lord, as master. Here's the problem. Let me first but let me first. And that's the problem with a life. Let me first. I tell my kids certain things. Hey, do this, do that. Can you clean your room? Can you? Oh yeah. But then there's an excuse. Oh, I just, don't you realize I just did that yesterday or I don't have time to do that or right. And this, this guy like, Lord, let me first Go bury my father. And it sounds like some, Jesus is being harsh with this guy, but he's not. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. The guy's dad wasn't dead yet. The guy's father is alive, but he doesn't want to miss anything that his dad might have for him. 
So he's like, I've got to stick around my, with my dad in case the inheritance comes early, in case there's, and, and it was something that was holding him back from fully following the Lord completely. Let me, let me, bury, let me bury my dad first. He, you, know, he's, you know, he's getting up in years and, you know, it could be his time anytime. And man, he's going to dole out the inheritance and just, I need to be part of that. And Jesus is like, no, go and preach the gospel. There's higher things. There's better things for your life that I have for you. And we can have that mentality sometimes that, that man, Lord, I will follow you, but there's some things I got to do first. And then verse 61, it says, another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go. Let me first go and bid them farewell at my house. I just got to go say goodbye. And that's following the Lord with preset terms and conditions. I'll do it, but I have to do this first. And, and we put ourselves first again. And there's terms and conditions. And we think, Lord, you're lucky you got me. Don't you know how talented and amazing I am? I'm a great person. So instead of you telling me what to do, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And when I'm ready, then I'll really give you my life. And I'm certain I will. But I've just, I got to go say goodbye to some people right now. And Jesus says, no one having put his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. And, and the trouble is, if you've ever done anything that plowing, plowing your driveway, doing you know, anything, you, you have to keep your eyes on where you're going, right? If you're plowing the field, I've never really done it, but I have rototilled before, but you can get off track. And, not, and if you mess it up and Man, all of a sudden it's this rocky, like, oh man, I just plowed that, but this needs to get done, and now I'm driving over this. And you can make a mess of things. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you can make a mess of your life if you look back while you're try trying to serve me. You can only serve one master. And probably part of what Jesus was thinking of, people that look back, number one that you can think of, that I've thought of, was Lot's wife. Like this warning that, uh, Sodom is about to be destroyed. Fire and brimstone are coming out of heaven and the angels say, listen, whatever you do, don't look back. And they're leaving. The angels are ushering Lot, his wife, and his two daughters out of Sodom. And they're getting there and all the action's taking place behind them. And it says that she looked back with longing. She looks back and she immediately turns into a pillar of salt, right? What? That is crazy. What did, what did you leave behind there that was so important? It's fire and brimstones coming down. But she looks back with longing, like where I'm going may not be as good as where I just came from. She looks back with longing, like that was cool. You know who else did that? Israel did that. They're, they're leaving Israel it's a, or Egypt, and it's amazing. They're going to a promised land, the place that God gave them with, you know, huge fruit, you know, giant grapes, all this amazing stuff. You're heading out. It might be a hard road. God is trying to remove Egypt out of their hearts, not just their feet out of Egypt. And they're heading that way. It's hard. 
but they were getting whipped, beaten, killed. It was terrible there. Bondage. They're throwing the male babies in the Nile River, killing them. And all of a sudden, they leave and they're like, man, those onions were awesome in Egypt. The garlic, the leeks. Really, what about the whips and the beatings and the and 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 they desired to go back and that's what jesus is saying if you're looking back you're not fit for the kingdom you're not ready you're not like you fit up the ground to be planted you're not fit if you can see something that's so much better than following jesus there's a big problem big problem And Jesus is warning these guys. And this is a huge warning because over the years, I've seen people come and go because of these things. Wrong motives, a me-first attitude, unmet expectations, who's in charge, a lordship issue, giving God terms. If you do this, then I'll follow you. And looking back at the old life, it was so much better. It was great. I had, I had it so much better in the world. And people walk away. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. As he's talking to these guys, he's teaching his disciples a lesson. That there could be a problem a month, six months, a year, two years, five years down the road. You might look back. You might turn back. You might be tempted to say, man, it was so much better when I spent all my money on alcohol. So nice to not have anything. And to whatever. So good back in the world. I had no peace, no joy, no hope, no eternal life. It was so fun. Who's with me? Who's going back? right? But it happens. It happens. And that's why Jesus is warning these guys. So Lord, we thank you for your warning. We thank you for your truth, God. Thank you for your definition of being great, God. It's being a servant. And that's what we want to be, Lord. We want to serve you. We want to keep our hand on the plow till the day you call us home. We want to be fit for your kingdom and we want to serve your kingdom, Lord. It's the one that's going to last forever. Never going to end. It's eternal. And we can be part of it, Lord. I pray if anybody here is not part of that kingdom, Lord, that you draw them in. It's free. It's the best thing you get for free in this world, in this life. So we just love you. Give you our lives, Lord. We need power. We need your Holy Spirit to empower your word to be effective in our lives, to be different people, Lord, men and women that serve you and love you, Jesus, in your name.